Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project that I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. I very much adhere to this idea that songwriting is problem solving. And, and I think comedy is too, actually, in a way, in that you've got to structure a joke so that it has a beginning, middle and an end, and obviously a punchline and a payoff. And, and a song is no different. And I think running companies is, is just like that. Basically, companies are three things. It's the three Ps. You've got people, product and process. And I live by that. But what does that mean? You've got to nurture your people. You've got to come up with processes that they can follow. And you've got to deliver a product to the public. And that is a company. And to do all three of those things just requires problem solving. And so if you work through things methodically, you will come out with a solution. It might not be any good. It might be crap, might not be liked by anyone, but that's kind of not the point. You've just got to go through that journey. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Thank you so much for tuning in and having what I consider to be a really, really wonderful listen with my guest today, Josh Simons. If you haven't listened to part one yet, do so. Part two is just as good. He has such a way about him, so special, such a great young entrepreneur. I know you're really going to be inspired by this episode. Before I get started, I want to thank you so much for all your support. And I want to let you know that if you need to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz at Twitter or Instagram or at my website at BarryKatz.com. And before I get started, I just want to share my thoughts regarding Josh because this guy is a very unique personality, somebody who has been successful as a musician, a guy who's toured arenas with Keith Urban and Carrie Underwood, but also as a songwriter and also as somebody who is part of the creation of a band and somebody as a producer who's worked with everyone from Travis Scott to Kanye West. He's been named to the industry's Music Network's 30 Under 30 list, which is hugely prestigious, but always seems to know how to pivot from one thing to the other. You could say he was multitasking before, but I'd say he was doing something 
that a friend of mine, Josh Harbinger, calls skill stacking. Just getting great at one thing and then continuing on to the next thing and becoming great at that. That's what he kept doing, but then he decided to just start something completely new from scratch, Vamper, kind of like LinkedIn for creatives in the music business where young musical artists can network with other artists and went from zero to what seems like a kajillion people using it and millions of people making connections with each other and forwarding their music careers. It's an incredible thing when you see somebody do that. They're doing well, they've gotten to the highest levels, they're performing at places like <laughs> the likes of every NBA arena in the country to packed crowds, killing it, but then making a decision that maybe there's something else that I can do that can help people and symbiotically help my career. And that's why he started Vamper, this incredible platform. And I think his story is incredibly valuable because if you can figure out how to start at zero in your life and pursue the things you love and then become successful at multiple things and then have the fearlessness and the boldness and the risk-taking ability to be able to put that aside and start something completely new that you feel isn't in the marketplace and succeed with that, well, if you can do that, I can guarantee you, you'll have the kind of career that Josh Simons has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and Seaman. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in showbiz and you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. All right. Let's go way, 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 way back where you grew up. What was the socioeconomic dynamic of the household? What was your inspiration to getting into this crazy music business? Mike Oldfield and Tubular Bells. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. yeah. Why don't you explain to our audience? Uh, I will explain to your audience. You tell me if I screw up. You go, yeah. Tubular Bells was the theme song, I believe, to The Exorcist, was it not? That's correct, yeah. You nailed it. So my yeah, my family, um, I had a weird upbringing. Well, we can go there. So my granddad started a publishing company in London called Leeds Music. And Leeds Music in the, I believe it was the 40s, but I could be off by a decade, was acquired by Universal Pictures and rebranded as Universal Music Publishing Group. So my family kind of started Universal Music, but we certainly don't have the money to show for that. I will tell you that much. He stayed on as president there until he died from a heart attack in the year 2000. He managed people like Tom Jones and stuff like that. My father, so his son, he followed in the line of the family business and started a publishing company of his own called Kelly Music. He represented people like Paul McCartney after he left the Beatles. My dad 
then got diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer called multiple myeloma. Back then, you were lucky to live for you know, six months. He lasted somehow nine years. He was the longest ever living person with that. But um, he's, I think he survived ultimately to provide for my mum. And in his final year, they decided to say, fuck it, let's have kids through IVF. And so they had me and my twin brother. And once we were born, he sort of signed away all of the business to my mum. He passed away. And then all of his clients collectively sued her and said she was incapable of running the company because she was a woman. This was in 1992. And we lost everything that my whole family had ever worked for. And we were broke. And I was four at that time. So that's my background. Uh, rich in history, not rich in capital. That'll inspire you to want to be in the music business. Yeah, you can say that. Why Why in the world would you want to get into the music business after the music business completely decimated your family? Because I loved what my parents worked on. They both worked on War of the Worlds um, with Jeff Wayne. I got to spend, I'm getting shivers talking about, I haven't revisited this in a long time, man. I got to spend so much time around legends as a baby. I don't remember any of it, by the way. But Freddie Mercury, my mom had a lot to do with him. You know, I think I was went to Simon Le Bon's kid's second birthday, but I don't remember it, but I was inspired by it. And so when I started, you know, you get to that age of five or six and you start to have an opinion, you start to develop your first opinions of the world. And mum would sit there as a widow or whatever the right word is and listen to the music and stuff that, that inspired her and that she worked on. And Tubular Bells was also one of them. And we would listen to this as kids in our front room. And upon looking back, it's actually all very tragic because mum was like a grieving single parent and we thought she was introducing us to music but it's quite clear now in hindsight that she was actually dealing with some trauma but for us it was just this wonderful introduction into the world of classic music and you know I do remember um, my granddad died after my dad died but I remember being in the room when Tom Jones sent him the first demo of Sex Bomb and I effectively a and it. He goes, should this be the first single? And I was like, yeah, this is cool. You know, I was 10. <laughs> so music just always felt like the only path. There was like no other alternative. Although, as I said at the start of the thing, I ended up going down the film world a little bit for a while and tried some other things, but I came back to music. Well, the music was soothing to your mom. And just to let you know, you and I have a tremendous amount in common. Okay. Yeah. My father passed away from cancer when I was four. Wow. And my mother used to console herself by listening to, believe it or not, a lot of African-American musical artists. And she had albums that were like Shirley Bassey and Diana Ross. Diana Ross and the Supremes. That was, I was going, yeah, that was, that was it. That was my childhood. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. Unfortunately, I listened to the comedy albums and it all went <laughs> Which ones were you? Did you work on any of like the Dice Clay albums or anything like that? The first albums I listened to were, I'm a lot older than you. I, I listened to were in my dad's collection. They were the only white artists in their collection. Right. It was three comedy albums. Smothers Brothers, where he's breaking the guitar over the other one's head. That's Jonathan Winters and Bob Newhart, the button down mind. And a little known fact, which I'll share with you, which I've shared with my audience probably more than a few times, is that Warner Brothers Records asked Bob Newhart to do a comedy album. He'd never done stand-up comedy. He was a sketch guy. Yeah. He told them, look, I'm not a stand-up comic. They said, ah, just find a place, record something. He gives them the recordings. 
they call him back after the album releases. They say, your album's number one, Bob. And then a few months later, they said, Bob, your album went gold. It's our first gold record ever. So Warner Brother Records' first gold record ever was in 1959. It was a comedy record, The Button Down Mind of Bob Newhart. That's crazy. My first comedy album I think I ever listened to was, I think it was Prior. It might have been a bootleg, though. I don't know if it was an official. I don't even know if there is any official releases, but yeah. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names and just tell me what comes to mind. It could be a, you know, a little sentence, a tiny little story. Could be anything like that. Keith Urban and Carrie Underwood. Beautiful people that gave me an incredible opportunity. Sacred memories, great communicators, stay in touch. That's really all I have to say. As Palmer. Business partner, partner in crime, complicated relationship as they all are. We've worked together now because he signed me to my first record deal. So this is the thing that's always funny to explain to people who care to listen. We are co-founders in Vampa. We're not equal partners because I'm the CEO and I just have a bigger responsibility and, and it's reflected in our equity split. But prior to being partners in Vampa, he was my label boss. He signed me to my first record deal and gave me my first $70,000 check. So we have a very complicated relationship in history because the power balance has shifted so many times over the years. Now, not to mention our families know each other now at this point, obviously, and all of that stuff. And so like any long-term marriage, effectively, it's complicated, but we're also lifelong friends and partners. And it's weird because he's 60 or something and you know I'm 32. <laughs> so it's a big gap between us in age, but it somehow works and uh, we have a very respectful relationship. Since you've met each other, and let's say you could only meet on Thanksgiving Day, how many of those Thanksgivings would you not have talked to each other? Oh, over the past 15 years, I'd say three of them. <laughs> yeah, we do enjoy doing these sorts of podcasts, usually together. But we end up just roasting each other the whole time, which is probably fun for the audience. Buchanan. Probably the project I bled the most. Oh, no, I bled the most for Vampa, but I bled pretty hard for Buchanan too. I love every memory I have from that. 
I learned how to be a human being from being in Buchanan. I got screwed over by band members. I dealt with terrible lawyers. I dealt with incredible lawyers. I dealt with incredible A&R people. I dealt with horrible CEOs of record labels. It was a like a crash course in life. It helped me meet ex-fiancés and it made relationships and broke relationships. And my crew that I developed over many, many years had babies and got married and got divorced. And I just saw so many things. So Buchanan was a very important, special part of my life. Yeah. You know, fascinated me. I interviewed Chad Smith, uh, the drummer for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And he said something to me that really shocked me. I can't imagine it's that way for everybody. He said that the Red Hot Chili Peppers had gotten rid of their drummer and they were auditioning for a new drummer. So you got the original guys and they're looking for a new drummer. And he's not exactly lighting the world on fire when he auditions for them. Mm -hmm. He's doing well, but and they love him. And he comes into the band and he becomes a 25% partner. Every single song written, everything is completely that way. And so, and that's not the way it normally is. So I was shocked by that. So I just wanted to share that with you. That's a really good point that you raise. And the best bit of advice that I could give to any young band is split everything evenly from the start. The only bands that ever really survive are the ones that do that. And if you do have to bring in a new member, cut them in even to existing material. Barry, my co-founder, joined his band Hunters and Collectors, which is a wildly successful Australian band in their day. 12 times platinum, rock and roll, hall of fame, all of that. But Barry came late to the Hunters, so he didn't actually start. He was arguably there during their most famous years. But when they brought him in, they cut him into their past material because it was the right thing to do. And there's eight of them. It's a huge band. And they're still together to this day, touring and making incredible money whenever they decide to hit the road and they do it on their own terms. So the moral of the story, depending on listening, if you're thinking about starting a band, is split things evenly. It does make things way simpler. and, And we did that for some part of the years in Buchanan and some years we didn't like, again, you learn all these lessons as you're on your journey. All right. Just a few more Travis Scott, my first major cut. So that was the first like really massive artist that I wrote a song for. And funnily enough, the first song I wrote in LA, which that's an unusual story. That is not the norm children. I just want to like talk about that because how does one, you create something, you write something. Now, how do you decide who you go to first and you get it to them? How do you get it to where they actually look at it? Well, this is, this is an interesting story because it's not the normal way. I had written a song in England for a guy called Troy Savan, who's now very famous, but at the time was an, an, he was a YouTube star. He was one of the first ever YouTube stars. He had just signed a record deal with EMI, but he was on no one's radar as far as fans and households are concerned. And I was writing songs for him because we got put together in a songwriting camp because I put my hand up and said, I'd like to be a part of this songwriting camp. The lesson here is you've got to be in it to win it. I loved the song, but I thought it was going nowhere. Two years later, I was back in London after having left for a while and I come back and I got sat down by the head of um, Universal Australia in London and he said, congratulations, your song is the, the voice winner's single and it's the song you wrote with Troy. And, of course, in the promotion for the song, they didn't promote that I wrote it, they promoted that Troy wrote it, but that doesn't matter. But in the email thread of people who had to clear that song, 
were a whole bunch of managers in Los Angeles. And I was on the verge of moving to LA because Vampa was about to launch publicly. And we always knew we wanted to launch Vampa in LA. I know we're going through a lot of information, but I'm getting somewhere. So I get to LA and I reply to that email chain to all the managers. And I said, look, guys, I've, I've just landed. I am a songwriter. Obviously, I've got the number one song in Australia right now. I think that's a good enough excuse or justification for you to connect me with your songwriting clients. And yeah, sure enough, a lot of them said, yeah, absolutely. I want you to work with all of my writers that I represent. And they put me in the room with this guy called Anthony Kilhoffer, who is Kanye West's primary engineer or was at the time. And so I sat down with Anthony and he goes, I've got this Travis song that's like 90% done, but it needs to be like somehow polished. It's just missing quite a few things. And a lot of famous producers had done it a version of the song and none of none of them did they like and so i came in and i took all the stems so in music you have stems representing different instruments i took all the stems from like the six different versions of the songs and i just assembled a new version of it which i guess you'd kind of call taking a song doctor role and that's kind of what i've done in la ever since whenever i come to a session i don't usually start the song i usually come in and help mold it into what it's going to end up being and so that's the role I took there and yeah I did my work I sent it off I didn't hear anything for what felt like an eternity but it was probably 12 months Um, and then all of a sudden it was out I very much adhere to this idea that songwriting is problem solving and and I think comedy is too actually in a way in that you've got to structure a joke so that it has a beginning middle and an end and obviously a punchline and a payoff and and a song is no different and i think running companies is, is just like that basically companies are three things it's the three p's you've got people product and process and i live by that but what does that mean you've got to nurture your people you've got to come up with processes that they can follow and you've got to deliver a product to the public and that is a company and to do all three of those things just requires problem solving and so if you work through things methodically you will come out with a solution it might not be any good it might be crap might not be liked by anyone but that's kind of not the point you've just got to go through that journey <laughs> wow yeah mark cuban occasional email pen pal <laughs> um yeah he's been nice to me the few times we've spoken but I don't know him all that well, to be honest. I've been asked on Shark Tank multiple times. Um, I always say no. I've dealt with him separately, trying to get investment for Vampa from him directly. He's politely declined because he doesn't invest in music tech, although there is one exception, which always gets me kind of fucking angry because um, I should be the exception. But um, yeah, I don't know. We've dealt with each other once or twice. Kanye West. Inspiring, complicated. Uh, I see a lot of parallels and similarities in some ways in some of the adversity and stuff that I've been through, but yes, someone I look up to basically. Social media and you. I I run a social media company and I love the social media platform that we've built and what it's done and it's helped broker 7 million connections between people who otherwise wouldn't have met. But my personal relationship to social media, I could, I don't use it. I don't have one. I mean, I have, I, I do, but I, I don't use them. Like I never promoted it don't you think that's fascinating that a guy running a social media company is sort of like kryptonite social media to you 
Yeah, I don't actually like going on the record about this one too much, to be honest, but because it would seem like, well, how could he know? But I mean, I'm, I'm Dave, Dave Chappelle could sell out uh, thousands of arenas and how much social media did he ever care about? Right, exactly. Um, and I, I mean, I, I fundamentally understand how every platform works. And by the way, the first job I have every single morning of the day is to read through all of the latest news in the industry for the day. And it takes a solid like hour and a half, to two hours. And so I fundamentally understand exactly, probably more than, you know, except for your Jack Dorsey's and Mark Zuckerberg's, how these platforms work and, and function. So I get it. I just personally don't feel the need to show everyone what fucking toast I had for breakfast. It's just... I don't think it's particularly interesting. Now, I know other people do. Power to them. That doesn't get me out of bed. That's all. Your proudest moment in show business. Um, oh, God damn it. Wow. Um, I mean, there's been a few. The first festival I played was a big moment for me. That was like, okay, maybe people actually might want to pay to see me. That was big. So the, playing the first festival was a place called Laneway Festival in Melbourne in 2011 in front of that. 11,000 people. That was big. Hitting a million users with Vampa was a very big one for me. Uh, personally, it's kind of, we got there against all the odds. We probably should have died a few years ago, frankly, when we ran out of money and we could have lost everything, but I somehow pulled it together. So yeah, hitting a million users was a big one. First time hearing myself on the radio is a big one. I don't know. Basically any moment that got me laid after the fact were all, they were good ones. <laughs> <laughs> is there a trajectory of what you play in a band or what you do in a band to how well you do in your social life does the drummer have the worst shot of having a better social life and the lead singer always the best the guitar player the bass player the piano that's, that's actually a really good question the, the, the truth is Barry, every single time I was on tour, this is un this is actually the truth and it hurts. Every time I was ever on tour, I was in a seriously committed relationship and not always with the same person, but like just each tour that we did, I happened to be in serious relationships. So life was very, aside from the, the rush and the thrill that you have when you're on stage and you're performing and people you're hearing people sing your songs back to you and all that. The truth is, is that I would go home at the end of the night and it would be quite you know, banal, like we'd go home and watch an episode of The Sopranos or something and have, you know, crackers and hummus and wine and fall asleep. So I never really, and, and some of my friends have always given me grief for that and roasted me for that because they're like, you never got to do the rock star thing. But I, I've gotten to do more of the rock star stuff since running this tech company than I, <laughs> frankly, than I did when I was in a band. And pardon my naivete. So when you were in the band, were there different people in the band that got a chance to go to the mic? And you know how there's certain bands and there's just one guy who sings every song and he just monopolizes yeah, everything. We, we, the bands, there's the draw, like in Genesis, Phil Collins sang from the drums. And well, like, in, in our band, every every player had microphones in front of them and they would harmonize, but I was I was the lead singer. You were the lead singer, but did you do every song? Were there some people who, you know, like the Beatles, George? I see, yeah. yeah, no, no, I was the lead singer on every song, but, you know, there were certainly songs where the centerpiece would be this beautiful harmony moment right before the final chorus where all the music drops out and all four of us sing Barbershop together, for example. So, like, had moments like that. But, yeah, no, we didn't have any songs that were led by another singer. 
And I just have to ask this before the last two questions. Obviously, you have the guitars in back of you and the world has a plan. And sometimes, as my mother used to say, you make plans and God laughs. Yeah. Have there been times in the past seven years where you just wake up in the middle of the night and just something comes in your head and you just start writing it down and you you start looking at it and harmonizing. You're like, a hit song just came to, ah, I'm doing this vampire thing now. I can't, God, that really, that really was a great thing that I came up with at three in the morning when I woke up to go to the bed. Nah, get back in the box. I don't want to do it. And then yeah. you find yourself at like three in the morning in the bathroom just doing the song. Nah, no, nah, I'm not doing this. I got to get it. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah, it does frequently. And I record it as a voice memo. And in your sort of half awake, half asleep stupor, I go, I'm fuck the rules, fuck my own rules about, you know, just doing the vampire thing. I'm going to record this on the weekend. And then I get to the weekend and I'm exhausted and I go, I'll save it. But what, what then happens though, is I'll get caught into a studio session, which happens, I'd say on average once every two months, and I'll bring those voice memos to the room. And so they don't go to no one. They eventually get placed. I worked out recently, like in the last three or four years, I've put out enough music on other people's records as like co-writers or even ghostwriters in some cases that I've, I've easily put out a couple of albums worth of things. It's just, I don't advertise it. And that's fine. But my objective is once I sell Vampa and hopefully do quite nicely from it, is that I'll be in a position where I can go back to just writing full time. I'll be too old at that point to be an artist that has the ability to start from scratch to break, which fucking sucks because, uh, and it's become so obvious with age and you're like, oh, you really do have to make it by like quite a young. I mean, that's, that's not true for everyone. Of course, there's many, many exceptions, but it's much easier to break as an 18 year old or a 16 year old even um, or a 21 year old maybe at the latest than it is at this age and it's only going to get harder as each year goes by and hair starts thinning and all of that shit so i'd love to go back to writing full time after i sell vampa it's unlikely that i would go on to create another tech product but never say never and like you said you make plans and god last i really believe that too and Every time I've ever said I'm not going to do something, I swear to God, I've ended up having to do it. Like, for example, Vampers raised money using uh, through crowdfunding for a couple of our rounds. We've also done the traditional VC thing as well. And every time we finish a crowdfund, I go, because they're exhausting. It's six months of dealing with people who like scream at you and they've invested $100. And you're like, are you kidding me? Like the time it took you to scream at me, I've, we've just spent you $100. But anyway, so... <laughs> Every time we get through a crowdfund, I go, I'm never doing that again. And then, you know, sure enough, we've done it annually, but we've now got it like any process. It just works like a pretty fine-tuned uh, thing now. And so I don't have to be as involved. But I've said that a few times. Like when I put out my first album as an indie artist, I said, I'm never going to do an indie release again. I'm going to do the next one on a major. And then I didn't like the terms of the deals I was getting offered. So I ended up doing an indie thing. So that's my point. Every time I say I'm not going to do something, I end up doing it. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. I mean, as creatives, we get told no like 99 times a week. And the latest, you have to develop thick skin, obviously, to deal with that. And it's not for everybody. And that's why a lot of people ultimately don't stick with doing what we do. But 
I would say to me, like always the most recent no is the one that hurts the most, even though I've got the thick skin to deal with it. It's because it's they've said no to the thing I'm currently most passionate about. So I don't know that I have a biggest disappointment. I, I get frustrated and fire. Every time someone says no, it just makes my resolve to win get stronger. So the last one is the answer. Uh, last question. What advice do you have for the young guy growing up halfway across the world dealing with the most gut-wrenching tragedies and yeah. has a dollar and a dream and ends up having the kind of career that you're having? How do they do it? To keep showing up. That's, that's the only key to success. I mean, you have to have some talent, obviously, but if you just keep showing up, that, that persistence, that perseverance, you'll win. You, you will. You'll redefine your own definition of success along the way. Probably when you're young, it means being famous. But then over time, it might mean just providing for your family by doing the thing that you love. But it doesn't really fucking matter. It'll mature and change and probably jump back and forth, frankly. But just keep showing up. That's it. It's actually that simple. Josh Simons, I never met you before, but I want to meet you again. Can we, can we have a beer in person or something? after this would be an honor to to actually do that i'm so grateful that i spent this time with you i feel like i've learned so much about your world and i feel like i feel your pain sometimes but you're always going to succeed i feel that about you so thank you so much man thank you man it was an honor to chat with you too i you're very familiar, as I said at the start, with everything you've done. And I think you're a legend. And you, you, my friend, are the legend. You're doing amazing stuff. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop all the people love you Cause you're going for Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, 
or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever.